You mean that intro where we sing a song and Shannon harmonizes? <laughs> sing, sing a song. No, don't make me do that because then we'll lose listeners. Like Shannon, please don't give up your day job. Hi, I'm Shannon Tipton, owner of Learning Rebels, and welcome to L&D Happy Hour. And beside me, I have Brent Linker, who is my partner in crime with this. Is it safe to say partner in crime? I think it's totally safe to say that. Yes, yeah. I don't know. Partner don't in disruption. Crime. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's a crime, but. Uh... I don't know. Some people listening to this may be going, oh, this is a crime. What are they doing? a crime. (laughs) No, but it is an hour and it is happy. So it is a happy hour. That's very true. And in the show notes, y'all will see some of Brent and I's favorite happy hour drinks for this week. If you read the show notes, that will give you an opportunity to look at them and learn something about our favorite frosty adult beverages. Or not so frosty. Or not so frosty. I guess so. You could have, oh, it is the season for hot toddy, right? So it could be uh, our hot adult beverage, which sounds sort of... <laughs> that sounds a bit risque, <laughs> Shannon. I don't think we need to go there. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Where is <laughs> where is it that I want to go? Where I want to go today, where I want to start our conversation is about L&D and business acumen. But before we get there, I want to talk about what is up with LinkedIn nowadays. I mean, seriously, I love LinkedIn. I hang out on LinkedIn mostly. But I have noticed a shift in how people use LinkedIn versus how we used it years ago. Years ago, I can safely say that it was all about the networking. It was all about the connections. It was about knowledge sharing. And now it's taken a turn where it's really more of a marketing space than a networking space, in my opinion. You know, so do we need to shift how we think about LinkedIn? Because LinkedIn obviously is not going to change what they're doing. So does that mean we have to change the way we think and the way we interact with LinkedIn itself? I'm not exactly sure that we need to change LinkedIn or that LinkedIn needs to change. I think like any other social media platform, it builds sort of a culture of its own and it sort of took on a Mm -hmm. life of its own, right? I think originally... Mm -hmm. Very few people even went to LinkedIn. It was a place where you where you basically put your resume, basically, right? You could right. list all the places you've worked and all of that kind of stuff. I can remember when LinkedIn first came out and thinking to myself, wow, wouldn't it be cool someday if this could just be my resume and I'd never have to type another resume <laughs> again. And if I was looking for a job, I could just say, just go look at my LinkedIn profile, right? As it got more popular... And as other platforms sort of waned a little bit and lost their luster and more and more options began popping up, I think folks started being a little bit more judicious in the ones that they chose to use, which meant that they started posting a lot more 
stuff into places like LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn became more popular. The conversations that were being had there and the networks that people were building were becoming more friendly, less just business oriented and more, here's my friends, here's my community. So I think groups kind of started that as well when we started having like private groups inside Mm -hmm. of LinkedIn and being able to do other types of social gathering inside of LinkedIn. I think that's when it started to become a little bit more of a robust informal social platform, more so than just a formal business conversation platform. I think that's true. Certainly LinkedIn groups and of course, LinkedIn learning, you know, has shifted the momentum of LinkedIn itself. But I'm also noticing an uptick in spammy. Right. So the marketing thing is in the natural spammy marketing thing always comes as, as platforms grow really big, right? When, when all of a sudden it becomes the place where everybody is, marketing is always right there to ruin it for everybody. And <laughs> marketing is always there to ruin it for everybody. That's well, hilarious. Yeah. I mean, they, <laughs> that's what happens with every single platform. YouTube, it happened to all of the social media platforms. It's, it mm-hmm. becomes, it's no longer about just connecting and communicating and, and having a virtual space to do the things that we used to do face to face. But now it, it, it becomes, as soon as it hits that that critical mass, then the marketers see it as an opportunity to make money and everybody tries to get in there and start selling something because it's a big marketplace. And so. Right. And that, that hence my question, right? Is it less about networking, more about marketing, self-promotion, that sort of thing. And I connect with anybody. If you ask pretty, I pretty much everybody, I'll say 99%. Um, of people who want to connect with me, I'll I'll say okay. I do look a little carefully because there's always those who want to connect with you. You connect with them, and then Bing, the next thing you get is a a hard sell about something. Let me demo our latest learning management system for your company. It's like, dude, I'm a company of two, you know. So uh, you clearly didn't do your research when you pinged me. And that's a little frustrating and a little disappointing because all of my information is there. Clearly, they're not reading it. You know, so there's there are those instances. Yeah. And then not as much anymore, but it used to happen where I would get hit on. So there'd be somebody who would come in through my DMs. I'd connect with them. And the next thing I'd get was, oh, I really like your picture. You know, uh, oh, you know. The creepers. Stuff like the creepers, right? And a yay for LinkedIn is that they made it much easier to report those sorts of accounts. You know, so I don't get those as much anymore. And the other other thing about LinkedIn that I think to your point, where it also kind of mimics other social media platforms is the ability to make people feel bad about themselves you know, because you get those people who go on and it's got to be fake. I I find it difficult to believe that every single successful person on LinkedIn gets up at 3.30 in the morning and does reflective exercises and reads a whole book before they have their coffee. And that's why they're successful. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know. <laughs> 
It all depends on how you define success, but yeah. <laughs> you it, know what I mean? No, I know exactly what you mean, but those are the types of people who are constantly marketing and selling something like easy money. Learn how to make a million dollars on LinkedIn and learn how to make a million dollars as an Amazon <laughs> seller and learn how to make a million dollars, you know, all yeah. of that kind of stuff. And it just, it. It all cycles through, and it used to be faced in LinkedIn, face faced in Facebook, <laughs> Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Like were the three big heavy hitters, right. and and everybody had. Geez, I even remember giving presentations at L and D events on it. Right, like yep. Here, here are the three platforms you should be on, and here's how I sort my life around these. Facebook right. is for personal, private stuff. LinkedIn is for you know, work related, mm -hmm. you know, my career life stuff. And Twitter was just for the everyday conversational. Here's an idea thing. I transitioned how I used to use my blog into how I would use Twitter in, in the early days of Twitter before, right. you know, before it just get, it reached that sort of mass appeal. Mm -hmm. But now, yeah, now it's, like I said, there's all of these other options and LinkedIn has just become one of those mass places where people collect, which means marketing can sell into it. And so they do. Yeah. There is a need to shift our expectations around LinkedIn that yes, you can still use it and should use it for networking purposes, but marketing, like you said, marketing has infiltrated <laughs> and sort of taken over. And so you kind of have to look at it with a little bit of a jaundiced eye and say, okay, you know, filter out those things that aren't doing you benefit or aren't helping you reach your goals of why you're on the platform. And there's good ways that you can do that too, right? Mm -hmm. There are, and this is what I always tell people, especially this, these conversations actually are pretty pertinent around X or Twitter, formerly known as Twitter, right? Where, you know, everybody complains about it these days, but it is the same as it was when it first started. You get to manage your stream. You get to manage what shows up in your stream. There are tools and LinkedIn's the same way. When you start mm -hmm. seeing people that are, are just constantly marketing and you're just tired of seeing the same stuff that they're sharing, you can mute them. You can mute the post unfollow them. You can build yourself a list and just have that list be your main uh, stream. And you can just look at that list. I have a couple lists where whenever I want to just have funny things and I just need to cleanse, <laughs> I need to cleanse the mental palate. The, the palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah. I will just, I will use that list where it just is nothing but positive stuff, nothing but funny things. Charlie Brown, you know, <laughs> comics and cartoons and Snoopy right. stuff, right? You know, and just things, right. things that make you remember that the world isn't all going to sh**. <laughs> and, and we can leave that. We can we can leave that here at, at that <laughs> because I think it, because I do think it sort of ties in to really what we're supposed to be talking about today, which is business acumen and not letting the L&D world go to by pretending that business acumen 
isn't a needed skill set, right? Indeed, indeed. It is probably one of the- <laughs> How's that for a transition? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the most neglected skill set. But the funny thing is, so to try to force the transition, LinkedIn is a great place to get business acumen. That is very too, true. Right? It all depends so, on who you follow. So if you follow exactly. people outside of your echo chamber, you know, follow some business people, not just, let me rephrase, let me restate. Don't just follow them read their stuff. Yeah, it's important to know how the business that you work in, how it functions and how your role fits into it. And this is, I always bring this around, a lot of this fits into a lot of conversations, but we always end up having this conversation about instructional design and the work we do as training professionals, where it's it's no different in higher ed or in uh, K through, you know, 12 than it is, you know, in corporate, you know, learning is learning and everybody, you know, does it the same and blah, blah, blah. But it, it's extremely different. And I think the people that don't think it's different have never worked a day in their lives inside of an actual corporate building mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a higher educational institution and, mm-hmm. and has recognized the difference. There are a lot of differences. If you're working in that corporate space, you must do much more than just be an instructional designer, period. And if you if you're a transitioning educator into instructional design in the corporate space and you think that all you need to do is learn how to be a good instructional designer and how to discover your favorite authoring tool and get skills in it. And you think, okay, cool, that's all I need. I'll be fine. You will very quickly realize that half of your job is more about that company that you work in than it is about you and your instructional design and e-learning development skill set. Completely agree. Now, there was an article that 360 Learning wrote here a little bit ago, and it was called, uh, it is called, I'm sorry, Why Business Acumen is an L&D Professional's Most Underrated Skill. Now, they took a survey of how people got into L&D, which I find is fascinating because you know, as well as I know, that people come from all corners of the earth into this industry. Yeah. To your point, of the people that they uh, surveyed, 22.6% of the industry came from education. They were teachers, professors, et cetera. And I think that speaks to the lack of overall business acumen within the industry. If most of us are coming from professions where business acumen isn't something that they really have to think about, then it's hard to make that transition. You know, so if you used to be in higher ed or maybe K through 12 and you're coming into corporate learning, the mindset shift can be extreme. Now, the other, um, let's see, the second most popular, and it drops, so 22.6% teachers and it drops all the way down to 9.7% were people who are in sales. (laughs) So I find that to be interesting, customer service and sales. Now, those people probably understand the idea of business acumen. And I know that sales sales understands the language of money, you know, so I think that that's right. important. Well, and I think, too, sales is a unique beast of its own, having worked in it Truth. a little bit and also having to do some training in it. They are their own little world. And you can't, I know very, very few 
sales training professionals that were not subject matter experts that weren't first right. sales people carrying right. a bag right i mean it's a it's an exceptionally difficult world to just kind of go yeah i'm an instructional designer i can teach anything all i need is a subject matter expert and i can build you a course on it that works great in just about every other part of an enterprise or a corporate organization but it does not work in sales at right all. Salespeople need salespeople, period. Yes, right. <laughs> now, the, the footnote that 360 Learning has to this particular chart is that they find 78% of L&D professionals have not worked, have not worked their entire careers in this field, 78%. That's, that's a huge chunk of people who do not work within or did not start within L&D on some level or another. I think this goes to why the skill of business acumen is lacking. One of the bigger issues that I try when I'm speaking at conferences is to hopefully get L&D people to walk out of the room at the very least trying to feel comfortable about asking business-related questions. Yeah. Because I think a lot of them don't simply because... They don't know what the answer is supposed to be. Yeah. Well, I think they don't know how to craft the right question. I think they don't, they legit don't even know what questions to ask. And so I think that that makes for a fairly decent transition for us to like, let's define business acumen, right? Like what, when we mm -hmm. say L&D professionals need to have more business acumen and we read it every day on all the LinkedIn posts and in all the research papers and stuff, what exactly does that mean? Because as I read a few of these articles that, you and I have been sharing back and forth. Uh, some of it, yes, I think it falls under the, the category of business acumen. But I, when I talk to people about business acumen, I think I'm often talking about something a little bit less heavy. In general, it is just connecting with and understanding the rest of the organization and being a part of the organization, I think, mm -hmm. is also step one, right? And mm -hmm. and talking to those folks and asking them, what is it that you need from us? If you don't know any other question to ask, if you feel embarrassed by your lack of business acumen, I think just asking that is a great place to start. A lot of times, I think their answer back is either we don't know either, or it'll just be, we just need you to train our people. Yes, and I think I've been fortunate. I have never had that response from a business leader where if I asked a business-related question about content that should be going into some training program, I've never had any of them come back going, why do you want to know that? It doesn't matter. Just do the training. I've never had that response. I know I'm probably maybe in a minority there, but that's never happened to me. Well, then I guess, too, it, a lot of it depends on... Right, the particular department that you're in. So this this does make the difference too. And, th and this is why giving presentations in our industry is so incredibly difficult, I think, because we have a tendency to overgeneralize things, right? So yes. let's, yeah. you know, we can say, yes, you need to have some business acumen. Okay, great. If you are on the L&D team that is, that is situated underneath HR, having business acumen means something very different than if you are the training team within operations, within manufacturing, you know. This within, is true. And it means something different if you are on the sales training team, if you're on the mm -hmm. sales enablement 
outside of the house, right? Things like that. Or maybe you're on the um, external customer training team, right? It's your responsibility to train all of the new customers on the product. So having a particular set of business skills and business acumen in all of those different areas means something very, very, very different. And the types of questions you're asking and the types of information you need to do your job effectively is uniquely different. I agree because each one of those departments has their own agenda. I digress, but I would much rather work on a training team that reports to operations than one that reports to HR because they have different agendas. And my agenda is about helping the business and the people within the business be smarter, better, faster than they were the day before. It's very black and white and it's measurable. Everything that you do is very measurable. HR is very squishy. It's very squishy. And we could have a whole different conversation about HR and learning and development, which could take us totally off path. But thinking about business acumen and to answer your question, which I think is a good one, is do we really know what business acumen means and what it means in the context of where you work? And for me, it was, yes, to your point, building those relationships outside of learning and development, knowing who to go to in operations, knowing who the truth keeper is, you know, on the warehouse floor, those things as well as, I'll go back to the money point, do you know how your company makes money? Yeah. And if you cannot answer that question, then you need to do some research. And it's not an easy question to answer. So you might say, well, my company makes money by selling widgets. Well, okay, yes. However, what journey does that money take from revenue to profitability? Yeah. Are they are they selling those widgets in, you know, 50,000 count containers and sending them to other wholesalers right. on the other side of the globe and that's how they make their money or are they selling one widget at a time to customers? All of those things means you're in a different type of business. You have a different context around which how that company makes its money. And so you I think the most immediate question is, if you are an instructional designer on a training team within ops, for example, we'll just we'll just pull that out. Sure. Your leader for your team or whoever is the person that's managing the training side of things, they are going to be set with a bunch of goals and tasks. At the very minimum, business acumen is knowing what your leader, your most immediate leader is held accountable right. to. And what those things mean. And then next Mm -hmm. level is what does your manager's manager get counted on? And what do they measure? What are they looking for that says they're successful, right? Mm -hmm. So figure out what that chain of success is and what it looks like. And then how do you fit into that and the work that you do? How does your work impact and have a positive effect on both of those first two levels? I think if you can just get that far, you're winning. Yes. Put it in the win column. Completely agree. The frustration I have with the lovely people in our industry are those who say, yeah, but that's not my role. Uh, I get, (laughs) they put the training request on my desk and my role is to just do that. 
And that just frustrates me to no end. Well, there was always a saying at Intel, and I, just, it's, I did 10 years there, and it's that you own your own employability was always the phrase. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. You own it. And if you're just the type of person that just needs to sit in your cube and just do your thing and wait till somebody drops another project on your desk to do your thing, you no longer own your own employability. You are at the mercy of, of someone else. Somebody else. <laughs> and if all of a sudden they decide they're not going to drop projects on your desk, they're going to drop them on somebody else's desk or not at all. Sooner or later, they're going to say, why are we paying you? And you're going to wonder why you're you're no longer employed. Right. It goes with the other statement that also just makes my the hair on the back of my neck stand up are the comments of why doesn't business understand that learning <laughs> is an investment and not a cost? To which I always respond, what have you been drinking this early in the morning? We are absolutely a cost. Yes, I think Mark Ehlert puts it best in all of his writings that he's written about our industry for the last, for crying out loud, 20 years, is that until we move from one side of the accounting sheet ledger. to the other side mm -hmm. of the accounting ledger, we will forever be the first cut and we will be disposable because we are a cost. We are a cost are center. Whenever there are costs to be cut, we top the list. We will mm -hmm. always do that. Yes. There is no P&L. There's no profit and loss statement line that says investment. <laughs> and we think we are. We so think we are. Yeah. Which, and uh, yes, in a theoretical rose-colored glasses world, Absolutely. I, I was just going to say, I was just going to say these, these CEOs over the dec last decades, the, the really ones of really big giant com Oracle comes to mind. I think that the CEO at Oracle was the one that made this trend popular was our people are our most important asset and it's <laughs> learning and development is going to be our strategic advantage. And we are going to invest heavily into learning and development. And I think it was maybe two, three years later that they cut the whole entire department when the market economy dropped, when everything went exactly, went, you know, so until you get pushback from your shareholders, people are our greatest value. Until you get pushback from the shareholders, which why we're seeing all of these people right now being laid off, you know, which also just annoys me to no end is where they say, oh, our employees are our family. No, you don't fire your family. You know, you don't lay off your family. But that's a whole I digress. I was just going to say. There's a great Instagram video of a woman making some commentary about that particular effect. And yeah, we could save that for another Yeah, for episode, another day because that's a big soapbox thing for me. So but hard. it's even if it's not your role, here, here's the thing that, again, to my lovely colleagues in the industry, even if it's not your gig now to understand these basic business acumen skills or vocabulary it will be at some point you'll get another gig and if you want to move up if you want to go from instructional designer to maybe lead instructional designer or senior instructional designer or maybe you want to go from a training generalist to a training manager or a vp or what have you 
you have to have these words in your vocabulary. It has to be in your lexicon. You have to use them and you have to know what they mean. Yeah. It's the flip side of, I, of conversations that I've heard people have and that where the, the conversation starts around the question of why, why can't the business just understand that what we do is important? <laughs> and those those conversations always tend to catch my ear and I have to look and see who's who's having those conversations because that's not their job. No. It's such a different way of looking at it and I think this conversation is important for a lot of the the influx of educators and teachers. A lot of this messaging is for you that want to get into corporate business instructional design. When you were a teacher, you were the most important person in the room. What you were teaching those kids was considered the most important thing in that hour. And very rarely would anybody ask you to do something else beyond that. Corporate work doesn't work that way. It's not the same. You get hired, you do the job, until there's a different job. And if you're asked to do that different job, you don't get to say, that's not my job. I'm not right. the one that teaches that. I'm not the one that does that. You do it. You teach it. I didn't sign on at Intel to be a documentation specialist, but our training team got disbanded and we all became part of the documentation team. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, no choice. You just do it. You just, you, we had to figure out how to write better documentation than anybody else. And thank goodness, instructional design kind of helps you. Right. Technical writing, it's a whole other It's a whole arm. other beast, but it, it kind of, you know, you at least can get halfway there and can probably improve on what existed before. But I mean, you're going to get asked to do stuff like that. There's going to be issues where another good example, I, I worked at another semiconductor manufacturing plant and there was a, uh, a spill, a chemical spill the manager that I was working for at the time, he had gone through this before and wasn't his responsibility. It was a big deal. People were freaking out. And he went and had a mandatory training session outside. They like set up a, a stage area and he answered questions about the safety protocols and all that kind of stuff. And he trained every last one of them on what the chemical was mm -hmm. and how the spill was cleaned up and how safe everything is inside the building. And he stayed out there for a whole Saturday morning answering everybody's question until every everybody there felt satisfied and safe. And all those workers came in on Monday ready to work. Well, I think that lends to a to an excellent point where business acumen and understanding what happens outside the four walls of your office is so important because if you don't figure it out, someone else will. Yeah. They will go right around you. If your business doesn't feel as though you are contributing on a results-based level or to call back to our last podcast, addressing the skills agenda or the skills uh, deficiencies, they will go completely around you and do their own training classes. Yeah. And they won't have fancy PowerPoints and they yeah. won't have fancy handouts and they won't have fancy videos. They will just get down and dirty and say, this is what you all need to do. Do this, do this, do this. Any questions, any questions, any questions, now go do it. So they will go right around you and figure it out. And this is why it's so critically important that we have 
conversations with people outside of our group, regardless of it's your role or not. And I talked to a number of L&D professionals who have told me, well, I'm not allowed to talk to other people within the business. And my response is, you're not allowed. How old are you? 12 you're not allowed. You say I can't have lunch with people down on the say, warehouse when, floor? When was the last time you were in the break room or, right. the, or walked around Shared the building? Shared a cup of coffee with somebody. <laughs> Nobody is saying that you have to go off and, and do a, a formal survey or a work observation you know, assessment or something like that. Just go and talk to them like the humans that they are. Yeah. Just do that. Everything becomes so formalized and so structured. You make and it so hard. Some people do just overthink these types of things and they, they, make, they make their own life a lot harder than it needs to be. We're not saying that you have to become an expert at all. We're just saying show some interest, be curious. And if you bump into somebody that you've never met in the company before, ask them what they do. <laughs> ask them right. what, what are they struggle with on a day-to-day basis in their job. If it's a job mm-hmm. you've never heard or talked to anybody about and you're not familiar with it, learn about it. Exactly. And I know it sounds flippant, I suppose, but the expectation is to be curious about what's around you. Now, in the past, when I did work for corporate America, I always selected jobs, career jobs in industries that I found to be interesting because I knew I was going to have to go out and talk to people and learn about what they did and how they did it. And if I wasn't interested in it to start with, there was no way I was going to be the best representative of them. Because I think that's one of our key job roles is to be an advocate for the people. And if you can't advocate for what they do, then, you know, the the battle is lost. So being curious, you know, ask the salespeople, why Salesforce versus Oracle? You know, or if you don't know the names, just ask them, what, how do you keep track of your clients? Just ask them stuff and I'll guarantee it. They will love to talk all day about what they do. Yeah. And all you need to do is listen. You may not need that information right now, today. You may not. Oh, but it will come in handy. Yeah, later. You, right. You you may not be the one doing the training for that department today, six months, mm-hmm. a year, but you know, maybe you will. And at some point, somebody's going to be in your department that is tasked with that, is going to be asking questions and they're going to have some frustration and you're going to be like, oh, I actually know the answer to that. And not only that, I know somebody that I met mm-hmm. that we could probably talk to. Let's take her to lunch and you can ask all the questions you want. Boom. Right. It's a tough nut to crack if you are not familiar. So if you are part of the, you know, 18, 28% of people who did come into L&D from uh, an adult learning educational background, you know, and, and you came in that way, it might seem intimidating to have these sorts of conversations with other people in your business. And just as a whole, you know, it might be difficult. So 
I think what we are recommending is just to grab a cup of coffee, walk the hallways, ask people how they're doing. Where is your struggle today? Yeah. It's like being the organizational therapist. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't recommend anybody attempting to be the organizational therapist. Unless you're certified in that. And I'm sure LinkedIn has a certification (laughs) for that somewhere. (laughs) But I I I, I think this leads to another question, though, that you had brought up earlier which is, does L&D have to have an L&D background to be an L&D? That's a lot of L&D. Yeah. Does a training manager need to be an instructional design person? Do they need to know what's going on? And I, I remember when I, when that question was asked on LinkedIn, my answer was that you don't have to be an L&D person as long as you're the type of manager that trusts the people that you've hired or that are on your team mm-hmm. that are the ones with that expertise and you you trust in their knowledge right. and their abilities to steer you in the right direction to make the right decisions. Because then typically folks that are in management positions, uh, managing training teams and whatnot, come preloaded with the uh, business acumen, right? They (laughs) they came from operations. They came from sales. They came from, you know, some other area of the business. And so they know the business. They're just wanting to manage a different type of team or whatnot. Right. Now, my background was in operations before I got into the industry. And like you said, I, I surrounded myself with people who knew something about training, even though back in those days, I didn't know shit about this industry. I knew less than nothing. So the people I surrounded myself with, I had no idea if they were good or not. You know, I yeah. still don't. They could have faked it. And you know, I, I don't know. I had no idea. And it was just a matter of, you know, this is before the internet. Yes, I'm old. It was about reading. I read books. I talked to people. I went to conferences. And I think that is the differentiator. How how are you taking ownership of learning about good adult learning practices or good practices about learning in the workflow or what have you? You know, so how are you educating yourself? Or if you are the one working for somebody who has limited knowledge, have coffee with them and say, how can I help you? I'm here to help you. Here's my area of expertise. How can we build this together? Or they need to join the Learning Rebels and have yes. coffee on Friday mornings and enjoy those conversations. Absolutely. Coffee <laughs> chat. Nice, shameless plug. Coffee chat every other Friday. You know, I think something quick before we wrap this up too much. I I think it's good for folks because since we do come from a previous generation of uh, (laughs) L&D professionals, I think it's good for folks to understand where all of this came from and why the training departments and why instructional designers and whatnot still struggle with this because we are the last to change at anything. We're the worst. We're, we like oh, to think of ourselves so as change bad. agents, but so we're, bad. The, we're the slowest and the worst at lagging indicators. to change. We are the lagging indicator without question. But for those of you who don't remember, way back pre-internet days when the dinosaurs roamed the corporate halls, 
um, we had what was called corporate universities. And these were absolutely modeled after the academic university standard. And some of that still lingers today, but they- um, A lot of that lingers today. These large, large, large organizations would actually have ginormous buildings, just like Mm -hmm. university campuses have them, and it would be- Intel University, or it would be Motorola University, or it would be Oracle University, University, or Hamburger University, right? These were totally separate buildings. And if you worked for one of these companies and you were moving up the ladder and getting some training, you would be shipped off to one of these places. And they even have... They even have hotels that are devoted to just the people going to these universities. So these were massive expenses on the bottom mm-hmm. line for folks. And they were gigantic. And they had instructors and they had teachers yes. coming in from legit universities teaching management, leadership development, MBA programs, accounting, finance, you know, basic operations. So that's the way all training was done back in the day for those mm-hmm. of you who are are new to all of this and you know Right and there are a lot of times where a classroom is a good thing because you got all the fun things you got collaboration creativity collective thinking etc. You know so you have all of those fun things that happen but it shouldn't be the norm to understand why that goes back to business acumen how are you helping the business when you do that yeah, and, and understanding that just because you, the the neuroscience that you know or the instructional design that you know is is telling you and demanding that that they get six weeks full on of training when you're not taking into consideration the business side of that and the impact that you have on the business, you can either stomp your feet and say, I'm right. And if you want people to to get trained in XYZ or, you know, change XYZ behavior. This is, this is the only way it can be done. Well, the operations is probably going to say, thanks for nothing. We're going to go find somebody else who can do it in, you know, (laughs) three days instead of six weeks. And we're just going to do the best we can. You have to work under the constraints of the business, which is within the context of the business not within what you were trained to believe it takes to develop training. But when you transition into the corporate side of things, there's going to be a moment in time when they say, here is some training that needs to be converted into e-learning and we need it by Friday. Go. Right. And it has to be done. It will be done. And and it has been done, you Uh know, and that's just reality. (laughs) That is just reality of the world that we live in. My favorite example is the time I had a manager of a department come into me as the training manager and say, do you guys have any training on, I can't remember what it was, XYZ yet? And I said, no, but I can, uh, the guy that is responsible for getting us the content for that, the subject matter expert, whatever you want to call him, I said, he's the engineer, he's just a couple cubes over, let me go introduce you to him. I introduced the two, never heard from that manager ever again. All he needed to do was know who to go to to get the right. right information. Once he was connected to the guy that had the knowledge he needed, he was good to go. Right. Sometimes that's all it takes. But again, you don't win an award for that. You don't get a no. raise for that. You know, nobody knows that you solved that problem. Nobody knows that you now enabled somebody to get the knowledge they needed quicker and faster than they had it before. But they remember that. So when it comes, when push comes to shove, 
when you talk about understanding the business and being helpful to the business, if you are helpful and useful, when it comes time for those budgetary cuts, people will stand up and say, no, not them. They're helpful and useful. We need them around. And that's what prevents your entire department from getting thrown out. It's that mentality. All of those little successful bits, like you just said, they all add up. And this is why having a foundational knowledge about how your business operates and the people within it and the positions within it and how they make money all becomes important to your career so it all ties yep. in. This is how you become successful as a this learning you- and development professional. This whole podcast has been about building business acumen, but really at the end of the day, this is the secret sauce. This is the whipped cream and the cherry on top of your new job. If you're if you're getting into learning and development is if you are able to function with the mentality of understanding business acumen and being helpful and being a person that knows where all of the knowledge is so that when people who need the knowledge know that you're a good conduit to get it, you've already won. It's the secret sauce. The cherry on top of the sundae. I love that. Now I'm hungry. Now I feel like I need to go get some lunch. Now I <laughs> feel cream. like I need to go get dessert. So it, so I, it's probably a good time to, to wrap this up so we can all go find like a Ice cream sundae. Yeah, that's what i There I'm you go. Yeah, right? Yeah, that's good for the diet. On next week's episode, how to lower Shannon's cholesterol level. And <laughs> go. <laughs> All right, I'm Shannon Tipton, owner of Learning Rebels. You can find me at learningrebels.com where you can sign up for our live coffee chats, which do happen every other Friday. And Brent, where are people going to find you? Again, Brent Schlinker. I'm in uh, the great Southwest. They can find me out here in the middle of nowhere. They come knocking at your door. (laughs) I'm looking for, give your address, Brent. Or (laughs) on LinkedIn, just look for me on LinkedIn or look for me at B Schlinker, any place else on the interwebs. I typically show up for my first initial last name. That's a good (laughs) good way to track me down. If you're interested in chatting, let me know. All right. Thank you, everybody. We will talk to you. L&D happy hour the next time around. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. For more content like this, or to begin your own podcasting journey, head on over to obsidian-productions.com.